Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back. This is OIS Podcast, episode 197. We're closing in on number 200. Blows my mind. Thank you for uh, your support over the years. Anyway, we're also closing in on OIS at AAO. It's happening next Thursday in Chicago. Closing in on 1,000 people. I'm sure we'll surpass that amount. It's going to be a great day. You should be there. Go to OIS.net to register. Don't go just because a lot of your closest friends and colleagues will be there. Go there because it's a terrific agenda. Our co-chairs always do a great job. But this time, you take a look at the agenda on OIS.net. You'll see a lot of different companies a lot of different topics. I think uh, they did a, a fabulous job mixing things up. One of the uh, the more interesting companies, at least in, in my estimation, uh, is a company called Opto Robotics, which is a, a Swiss company. And as the name indicates, it's uh, it's creating robotic technology for ophthalmology. So we spoke today with its uh, CEO, Francisca Ulrich. Francisca Ulrich is a an engineer, but she's now the CEO of what I think is a very cool startup that's uh, developing a, uh, a robot that will uh, be able to administer uh, injections in the eye. It makes perfect sense. Uh, I think there are a lot of hurdles for it, but uh, certainly if it can be perfected, it would, uh, I have to think, uh, be a very appealing technology to a lot of uh, ophthalmologists out there who are uh, giving these injections and uh, that are required frequently and that do take time. So, it's, uh, it's an interesting company, an interesting story. And Francisco Ulrich will be presenting at OIS at AAO. She'll be presenting in the afternoon during a, uh, a very unique uh, block of presenting companies that are looking at AI and other technologies. So please do, again, go to OIS.net to register. We would love to see you in Chicago. And uh, do enjoy this podcast, this conversation with Francisco Ulrich of Opterobotics. Well, Francisco Ulrich, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. So, I understand you're going to be at our uh, upcoming OIS at AAO meeting. It uh, looks like an, an interesting panel uh, uh, centered around uh, just the new technologies coming into ophthalmology. So we really do thank you uh, for coming out and for representing Robotics. Sure. So let's find a little bit about, uh, about yourself first. Uh, what is your, your background? You're not an ophthalmologist. Uh, you're... I'm, I'm actually not an ophthalmologist. Um, my background is in mechanical engineering. I did my bachelor's degree um, in mechanical engineering and then continued um, to study robotic systems and control. And uh, during my doctoral studies, I moved into uh, medical robotics, um, starting with micro robots, uh, which can be used inside the eye and then moved towards a little bit larger systems than that. So did you move into the eye because of an interest in ophthalmology or was it the, the type of technology you were working with that, uh, that, that led you to, uh, to work in the eye? I think it's, um, both on one hand, uh, my, my family is very medical, I would say. So um, I always had an interest in medicine. However, I never wanted to be a surgeon. Um, but on the other hand, I am fascinated by robotics. And I really think that uh, robotic technology can help advance healthcare a lot. So this is something that uh, my, where my interests uh, still are. 
And um, I'm glad that I chose this path. Well, tell us a bit about uh, about how Off the Robarks came together. Uh, when was it founded? So it was actually founded in 2014, some time ago. Um, however, at that time, it was more or less a, um, a university project, really. Um, the way it came to be was because we had certain collaborations um, with uh, ophthalmic surgeons uh, from a local hospital in Zurich. Um, and this was while I was doing my uh, doctoral studies with Professor Nelson's group at the Multiscale Robotics Lab at ETH Zurich. Um, these ophthalmologists actually came to us and said, we, we are doing so many injections into the eye every day. Um, can't we automate this somehow? And being roboticists, we said, well, we, we certainly can. Let's see how. And this is uh, how it all started. That's interesting that they came to you. Uh, I would think typically that uh, the surgeons, historically, I guess, surgeons have been um, reluctant to sort of give up control uh, over procedures or, or they, not all, but some have, have seen their own hand as being surer than, than a robot's arm. But uh, this was a, a problem identified by, uh, by surgeons, by physicians. That's true. Um, so basically, you have to understand that giving injections into the eye is not a very difficult procedure. It's a very important procedure, though. Um, however, surgeons oftentimes don't like doing it too much because it kind of gets boring. It's very repetitive uh, work and always the same thing. It's extremely standardized already. And many surgeons rather want to do something, you know, more um, creative than um, giving injections into the eye. Yeah, there's a, actually, it reminds me of a company out there, uh, Restoration Robotics, that works in, uh, in, well, in hair restoration, which is different field than this, obviously. But, uh, but it's one that, uh, you know, that requires a lot of repetitive work. So I could see a parallel there. So with that... Um, clinical need in mind? Uh, how did you move forward? Did, uh, did you have a technology uh, um, conceived or, or an approach conceived or, or did you sort of approach this as a, as a whole new problem and, and you sought out a solution? Well, we, we really started off with nothing in the beginning. Um, the first thing that we had to do was uh, get some, some funding. So we received some seed financing from a large pharmaceutical company um, which actually produces the, the medication which can be injected into the eye. Um, and then we could move forward to start with this more or less as a small university project, as I said. Um, it was really part of my, my doctoral thesis to develop the system. Um, it, it looked very crude at that time. We didn't want to show it to anyone. <laughs> um, but it was basically the first proof of concept. Can we develop a system that can automatically inject into the eye? And this was something that we um, showed in 2016 and also um, published a, a paper on this um, where we showed we can actually do automated injections. And, and from then on, we, um, we saw the interest that people had, um, that ophthalmologists had into the, in, in this project and also um, other companies um, in the medtech uh, industry, but also the pharma industry. And this is how then uh, we, we continue to develop the system uh, further. So where are you currently with, uh, with your product? So we just uh, finished and uh, finished developing our preclinical prototype. Um, basically, this system 
um, is based on a lot of market research that we did with ophthalmologists, um, mostly in Switzerland and in Germany. Um, and we, we came towards a, a product that has all the features that um, are supposed to be in the, in the clinical prototype later on, um, but it's not really for human use yet. However, we can do a lot of uh, acceptance testing and also try out different things, different algorithms, et cetera, on the system. And it's a, a very sleek looking uh, device. If anyone were to look at optorobotics.com, they can see uh, some images of it in a video as well. Uh, but talk a bit about uh, what's inside. Uh, how is it, um, what technology is it using to identify the right place for an injection? Well, um, first of all, of course, there's a very precise uh, kinematic system that consists of uh, five degrees of freedom. So basically five uh, axes that can be moved mm -hmm. to then direct uh, a needle really to a precise point um, on, the, on the sclera of the eye. Um, the eye is continuously tracked through a camera system. And also the patient is uh, viewed by, by a, a wide angle camera, basically, so that the surgeon can always see how the patient is feeling um, or, and if everything is all right with the patient. Um, the patient can put his uh, chin and forehead against uh, certain uh, holders and then can look at a, um, a small um, well, LED cross, it's basically, so a, a small uh, gaze fixation, as we call it, so that the eye is really fixated uh, to a point, and then the needle comes from the other side. Fascinating. So is it basing the place of the ejection upon knowing that the person is gazing in a certain way, or, or is it using visual cues? Is the, is the system using visual cues to pinpoint the, the, the right place in the eye for, for the injection? Is it exactly. So the, um, the precise location for the injection is ex actually chosen uh, based on several things. One is the history of the patient um, and, and where former injections were, were placed. Um, this is because a patient usually has to go and get injections every six to eight weeks. So this is a very frequent thing uh, for the patient, a very frequent treatment. Um, and you don't want to inject into the same location again and again, because this could actually mean that the sclera uh, thins a little bit. Uh, and this is, well, it hasn't really been, been looked at what that means, but it's definitely not a good thing. Um, so, as I said, on one hand, it's really based on the history of, of treatments for that particular pa uh, patient. On the other hand, there is a very small region on the sclera or on the eye where the injection can actually take place so that the needle uh, won't inject into the lens on one hand, but also not inject into the retina on the other hand. So there's a very uh, thin region where injections are actually safe. And of course, the needle has to be placed within this region. Hey everyone, this is Tom. We'll take a quick break from this interview with Francesca Ulrich to tell you a little bit about the agenda next week at uh, OIS at AAO. Opens up with our breakout sessions. We've got a lot of the more important topics covered, including dry eye and MIGS, as well as uh, comments from the FDA. We'll look, we'll look at uh, innovative intraocular approaches to presbyopia and also uh, actually have a, a venture capital panel, which looks very interesting. I think I'll be checking that one out. But go to ois.net. You'll see throughout the day a lot of different twists and turns to the agenda. A lot of uh, very innovative uh, companies in ophthalmology that I know you'll enjoy watching. 
And also, again, we'll have discussions about AI and other technologies that are coming in. We'll have presentations about the OIS index, which I think is looking pretty good. And uh, finally, we'll have presentations by our sponsors and friends, including folks at Piper Jaffrey. And of course, it will be all wrapped up with uh, the masters of the industry to be moderated by Jim Mazo of Carl Zeiss Benetech. So please do join us at OIS at AAO. Go to ois.net to check out the agenda, and we'll see you next week in Chicago. Now let's get back to this podcast. So is the device itself determining the point? And I'm sorry if I'm repeating the question, or or is it is there some surgical mapping done beforehand by the surgeons, and it's in sort of just a preset location that the robot follows in in injecting the medicine? So the system, um, it's not following a certain location. It's basically looking at the eye. So there's eye tracking. And from the eye tracking, we can find uh, the precise location where um, an injection is safe to do. So the system will uh, basically suggest a certain injection location to the surgeon. The surgeon can, of course, always change this location. Um, however, he or she could also just... Um, just activate it and and uh, check this uh, suggested location. And has this been uh, used on people yet? So we haven't used the system on people yet. Um, what we have done is we have also built a um, an emulator uh, type of system, which is basically a very human looking head with a um, where we can place a uh, a cadaver pig eye inside mm -hmm. this this uh, phantom. And then this peak eye can be moved according to human eye motion. Um, and this way we can really test a lot of different scenarios. Um, also see what, what the uh, system would do if, for example, the patient panics and looks uh, at a, at a random position. Mm -hmm. Um, this way we can really test all the safety measures of our injection system. Wow. That sounds, uh, that, that sounds really fascinating. So where are you in, uh, I guess, in, in the clinical testing of this? You're not in humans yet, but, but how far along are you? What's your, what's your route? <laughs> no, we're not in humans yet. Um, we're at a point where we uh, developed our preclinical prototype, and this now will be used for um, acceptance testing on patients, for example, uh, which does not include the injection itself, mm -hmm. but it includes basically everything else we can um, test our eye tracking system. We can test how how well the the patient can be fixated in this system, um, and of course, on our uh, simulator, we can also test the injection uh, precision itself. Um, the next step is we're, we're basically um, in a financing phase at the moment, and as soon as that is done, we can start developing a clinical prototype, which then also will go into clinical studies. Uh, towards the CE certification and later the FDA approval. Have you raised capital in the past? And, and if so, from where? So we have raised uh, some capital, which is mostly from uh, public grants and also foundation money. And uh, currently we are in discussion with several um, companies and private investors for um, the, the round A. You can care to say how much you're hoping to raise? Oh, um, so for <laughs> in the first phase, we are hoping to raise uh, 3 million uh, Swiss francs. This would allow us to really build the clinical prototype and then another uh, three and a half million to move towards um, the CE certification and have a fully certified uh, system. 
So would you anticipate having this, pursuing a, a CE mark and, and getting this on the market in, uh, in those countries that, that give that approval in Europe? Or are you seeking, what, what's your plan with the FDA? You mentioned the earlier, what's, what, what's your uh, plan for, for getting broader regulatory approval for this? Mm -hmm. So in a, in a first step, um, we would like to get the, the CE certification for Europe um, because we are based in Switzerland. So it's, of course, our, our um, home market, I would say, and a, and a good uh, test market as well. Um, and then in the next step, we would move, uh, first of all, towards Asia, but then also towards the U.S. markets um, by receiving the, the FDA approval. Um, and with this, we can then, of course, move into... Um, international markets with our system. And what sort of uh, time frame do you think you're looking at for that, that broader approval for the FDA, for example? Do you see a couple of years before you begin a trial here? Or would you like to get in the, in, involved in that sooner? So I think FDA will take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking at a CE certification in end of 2020, approximately. Um, so then FDA would be a couple of years after that. Uh, have you engaged uh, physicians outside of those who you had that initial uh, those initial conversations with uh, about this technology and and what is their response? Do they see uh, a great opportunity for for this? Do they see this as something they'd like to have in their practice? So um, we actually engaged a lot of physicians during the development of the uh, preclinical prototype. Um, we went into a lot of clinics and watched hundreds of injections uh, in the operation rooms. Um, we also had a few surgeons who actually um, gave us some time to uh, look at models that we made. So we started off with some styrofoam models, um, which just had a very few features. Um, and, and you really had to use your creativity uh, to, to understand what the system was uh, supposed to be doing. But then we could test several features. And um, this way actually came up with a... Um, very customer focused um, setup of a of the clinical prototype or the preclinical prototype. Um, a lot of surgeons that we talk to are extremely positive about this, um, mostly because almost no one likes giving injections because it's a very repetitive and kind of kind of boring task as well, um, and. Also, of course, the, the risk of infections is still present. I'm, I don't want to say it's very high, but it is still present. And of course, the less people are around the patient um, talking and breathing, the less risk there is for, for serious infections in the eye. Do you anticipate that there'll still be, though, a, a technician or someone in the room with the patient? Of course, it, it's very important. Um, most of these patients are 85 plus years old, and um, we don't want to leave them by themselves with a the, with the technology. I don't think that's that's what we uh, aim to do. Um, however, you can always have a, a medical staff uh, with a patient. Um, medical staff also has to prepare the patient, guide the patient, and also does the, uh, do the disinfection of the eye. And then, of course, the patient can sit down and um, basically rest forehead and chin uh, in the system and the uh, medical assistant can just start the system or this is done by the surgeon and this really uh, is according to to local um, regulations in in the certain country and have you had any feedback from patients the, any sense of how you think people might uh, respond to uh, to having their injections delivered this way 
actually, we were very surprised when we talked to patients. Um, we thought that especially elderly uh, patients don't want to be injected by this technology. However, um, we talked to quite a few of them and also explained to them where we see the advantages of the system. And um, surprisingly, many of them were very, very positive about this technology. Um, as long as there's still a, a surgeon somewhere and basically the surgeon is still the one uh, hitting the button yep. and checking that everything is correct. And as long as there's still someone, um, maybe a nurse in the room, uh, many patients are extremely positive because they do see the advantages of, of high precision, of a very um, sterile and clean injection and um, the reduced risk, really. Will the needle be delivered any differently than it would be by a human hand? Is it is it faster? Is there any sort of, is it, is it delivered differently at all? Uh, not so much, really. Um, the, the injection needle is basically the same uh, structure that is used manually nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, in the future, we, we do see some potential there um, where we can make it more efficient if the system actually fills uh, the, the syringe as well. Um, you could imagine having a, a container or a drug reservoir next to the system and the system then draws the medication itself. So this is something we see for the future as well. And that, of course, would uh, really increase efficiency, would uh, reduce contamination by bacteria. Um, and make things a lot easier, really, for the surgeon as well. That's great. Do you see in the future uh, any other um, applications for orthorobotics? We could have moved beyond needles and, and get involved in some other surgical procedures. <laughs> so I think uh, <laughs> I, I can't really talk to, uh, about about certain applications. However, every, everything um, everything where you have needles involved or uh, injections involved could potentially be done by the same technology. Um, maybe the system needs a little bit of uh, reconfiguring, but in general, um, if it can inject into an eye, why not inject anywhere else? Use it to deliver the flu shot into my son's arm so I don't have to hear him scream when he... Uh... <laughs> potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Work on that one, will you? Uh, final, <laughs> final question about yourself. You're, you're a mechanical engineer by training. Uh, how are you enjoying the, uh, the role as CEO? Well, uh, I love it. I could uh, say that, of course, it's uh, it's a very different type of work than I I was trained to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, it was very hard also to um, learn about uh, business, about financing. Um, a lot of times, engineering work is um, well, yeah, basically you're by yourself uh, or maybe in a, in a small team, but you're not. Uh, um, you're not networking that much as then suddenly I had to do. So this is something that I learned and I really enjoyed, or I am still enjoying it. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it's great. I can definitely suggest it to anyone who would like to see a little bit uh, something different than what they did before um, and just try it out if, if this is something that, yeah, that rocks your boat. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, and you'll be giving a presentation, as I said, at OIS at uh, at two forty. So you don't get to do that very often either, as uh, as an engineer, at least not at a investor conference. Well, it's definitely it's definitely the first time in the U.S. Yeah, and we are very happy to also introduce our new preclinical prototype to the public because this actually hasn't been done yet. So this is something I'm looking forward to. 
You'll be showing that at, at OIS? Yes, we will be showing this. Terrific. Well, we look forward to seeing that. And uh, I'm really grateful you took some time to talk to us today. Thank you very much. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on the OIS podcast. Please do visit us next week in Chicago at OIS at AO. Go to OIS.net to register. It's going to be another huge event. We'd love to see you there. Great presentations, great talks, great discussions, and a, a, just a fabulous opportunity to network. Speaking of that, if you uh, if you do or when you do attend OIS at AO, please make a point of uh, finding me. I'll be doing some interviews. I'll be walking around. Would love to say hello. If you can't reach me there, if we don't happen to bump each other, bump into each other because the crowd is so large, please reach out. I am on Twitter. Find me at MedTechTom. You can obviously email me, Tom at Healthogy.com. Healthogy is spelled like the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y. And Healthogy is the producer of this podcast, of our OIS events, and many, many other great programs in healthcare. Please go to Healthogy.com to check those out. That's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join us next week at OIS at AAO. We'll see you in Chicago.